All right, let me encourage you to find your notes for this morning. It's called Daily Homework. How many of you like homework? Raise your hand. A couple of you do. Yeah, generally, we don't really like homework all that much. I have to admit, growing up, I didn't like homework all that much either. Now, I grew up in a rather unusual kind of school, a rather unusual situation. You see, I grew up in my first two years, I went to a one-room schoolhouse. How many of you went to a one-room schoolhouse? Anybody? A couple. There we go. Mark. In the whole school, approximately. 35. So one through eight, 35 kids. So three or four in every class is about it. Earlier today, there were a couple of other people, similar, uh, 35 to 50, I think. In my one-room schoolhouse, eight grades, we had 18 children. First grade. And not only that, in my grade, there were only three, and one was my twin brother. So we had one other kid that didn't look like me, and that was about it. Of the rest, they were either my brothers or my cousins, over 50%. So we could have just had it in my house, would have been just fine. So that was unusual, one room. But also the age that I began. Now, we didn't have kindergarten, only first grade. And instead of starting at the age of six, which is pretty typical, I started when I was five. Actually, I was only four for the first couple of weeks, and then I became five. And the reason for that was because, not because, that I was an academic prodigy. Not that at all. It was because I was always in trouble. Truly. And my parents asked the pastor at the Lutheran church, where the Lutheran school was, if these two honorary knuckleheads could go to school and get straightened out. They said yes, and we were in. So, so that was rather unusual. I have to say that I learned to love school, love to read, still read a lot today, uh, enjoyed my teachers, but I will have to say I didn't really like homework. And yet, later on, I became a teacher because I loved school so much, and I discovered that homework truly is important. Even though I didn't like it, my students didn't really like it, it's important so that we remain focused on what's important. So we're not here to talk so much about school today as about the homework that you and I have as the people of God. You see, before Jesus left this earth, he gave all of his disciples, and that's you and me as well, all Christians, he said that every day, I want you to go and make disciples. So go ahead and put that up there. It was our reading for today. One little word, really, go. Go and make disciples. That is why God put you here on this earth. Sometimes everything else gets in the way. How many of you are going to be watching a football game later on today? Anybody? It's a good thing. I'm going to be there too, but it's not the most important thing. Some of you are going to go to some basketball games. Our kids are playing uh, down at Emmanuel Dundee, and that's a wonderful thing, but it's not the most important thing. Some of you are going to go to work today. Very important. Got to do that but not the most important thing. Kids will go to school, very important, but not the most important thing. It is to go and make disciples. So how are you doing with your homework? <laughs> All right, let's be honest. How are we doing with our homework? Christianity Today took a survey not long ago. Who do you think reads Christianity Today? Anybody, just a wild guess? Who reads that stuff? Christians, pastors do as well, very good. Christians, for the most part, right? Christians, pastors, we read it. All right, so you know the answer to this. Who is the only way to salvation? Somebody shouted out. 
Jesus, of course. Shouldn't every reader of Christianity today give the same answer? You would think, but they didn't. So either they weren't paying attention, or maybe they weren't Christians, I don't know. Only 89% in the survey said Jesus is the only way. Amazing, while it gets worse, how many do you think said that evangelism, which is the first part of disciple-making, is the responsibility of every Christian? Now, you know the answer, right? Whose responsibility is it? Everyone's, every Christian. Only 87% said it was their responsibility to make disciples. They were saying it's the pastor's job, the church's job, the evangelist's job, a missionary's job, but not their job. Well, it gets even worse. Not Christianity Today, but George Barna also did a survey very recently, and he asked the question, when was the last time that you invited someone to church other than in your immediate household? And over 50% said that it had been over 10 years. How do you make disciples if they don't hear? How can faith be created without someone hearing the Word of God? And one of the best places to hear it is indeed right here in worship. Now, it gets even worse. In our little segment of the church, not just Emmanuel, but the Lutheran Church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have about 2 million members throughout North America about 6,000 congregations, the average, so just take the whole thing, the median of those who were converts. What do you think the average would be? Adult converts, zero or one. A lot of us are not doing our homework. And yeah, Jesus says that he is going to empower us to do this. And not only that, he has a plan for us to do that. And not only that, he is going to go with us as we do our homework. So I want to take you through this just very quickly this morning. First of all, God gives us the power to do our homework. Would you agree with me that it's tough? To do any kind of homework when you don't understand it? Raise your hand, is that tough? Yeah, did you ever have a, have a class? Maybe high school, maybe college, maybe even in elementary school where you just didn't get it. You didn't understand. Yes, me too, right. So one of the reasons I became a teacher is because I wanted to help explain how things worked. I was a biology teacher because I was fascinated by life and the, and the human body and all things that God has created. And I wanted those students to have that same excitement. Was it Clark or Russell earlier? One of you said that you love science. Me too. And I wanted my students to have that same kind of excitement. But it was tough if you didn't understand how to go about doing it. Now, I asked the question of our staff here at Emanuel this last week. What was your toughest homework assignment? And I got a lot of different answers, but the one that I want to share with you, Lisa Darby, have her permission, she shared when she was in graduate school. So at a pretty high level now, and she had to dissect a cadaver. Anybody ever done that? A couple of you. 
You doctors, I know. See, I didn't, I didn't have to do that. I taught biology, but never a human. We had other mammals and things that we would dissect. So this was exciting to me. And she said it was so tough. The assignment was so tough because, first of all, they had no manuals. It's difficult if you don't have a written instruction. But not only that, her instructor that year didn't speak English. And that's what she spoke. Very difficult when you don't understand the assignment. Now, the good news for us is that Jesus speaks the same language <laughs> that you and I do, which is the human language. It says here in our notes that he said to the disciples and to you and me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So before Jesus even asks us to do anything, he gives us power and authority and the ability to do it. Now, we all understand the difference between authority and ability, right? Not the same thing, is it? Authority and ability. For example, I have the authority as a senior pastor here at Emmanuel Lutheran Church to go and play that piano. Uh, you're right, I do not have that ability. In fact, they tell me, stay away from the piano. I have the authority to go sing in the praise team, but they do not ask me. Or the choir, they do not ask me. I do not have that ability. But that's different if you go the other way around, if you do the reverse. I might have the ability to go out here to the corner of 14 and Teckler, not on Sunday morning, because there aren't a whole lot of people out there, but maybe on a Friday, about 4.30, I could go out there. I have the ability to direct traffic. Stop. Go. But if I was out there waving my arms around, one of two things would probably happen. I would either get run over or I'd get arrested because I do not have the authority. God has given you both the authority. He didn't send the angels to make disciples. He sent you and me. But he also gives us the ability to make disciples. So many people say, but pastor, I don't know what to say. Well, let's see if you know what to say today. All right? How many of you love Jesus? Raise your hand. All right. How many, go ahead and put them down. How many of you know that Jesus loves you? Raise your hand. Very good. Now, how many of you have a mouth? Raise your hand. Okay, so to make disciples in the very beginning, all you do is you tell people, Jesus loves me. I know that because he died on the cross for me so that my sins are all forgiven. And because of that, I love him. And you know what? He loves you too. Do you think you could do that? Every single one of you can do that. The kids in our school this last week, one of the things that they did to show that it's not just words, but it's also our actions, you probably noticed when you came in, did you see all those hearts out there? Raise your hand if you saw the hearts. Look at them if you haven't seen them yet. I'll even give you permission to get up and do it now if you have to. And you'll notice all kinds of things, words that were noticed by teachers or other students, but not just words, what else? Action. Acts of kindness. 
that showed the love of Jesus. You see, all of us, we will be going out, going to something this week, work, school, groceries, errands. But we also can go and make disciples, simply sharing the love of God with those who are nearest, because that's who our neighbor is. We think it's impossible at times, but so did the early disciples. Somebody tell me about how many, about how many disciples were there when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven and he gave us this great commission that we just read earlier. How many? What? Three? Three hundred? Probably around 300, I mean, scholars are divided. Either it was the 11, we know them, all but Judas of the 12, but some think it was around 300. That there was a larger group gathered. And he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, of every people group on the earth. Share the good news. Show people that you know, if you're Jesus, saying to them that, that I love them, that I died for them through words and through action. About 300. How much money did they have to do that? Not much, I can tell you. Fishermen, people who had given up their job. One scholar estimates I don't know if it's right or not. He estimated that among that 300, that in today's dollars, they probably had about 10,000. $10,000. And yet they were to go and share the gospel and make disciples of all nations. So did they have the internet? They could just, you know, type a message and send it out? No. Radio? No. Television? No. Airplanes to go to all parts of the world because there were people living in all parts of the globe, not just there in the Middle East, not just in Israel. No planes, no big ships. But go and make disciples of all nations. It was illegal to do that. Their leader had just died. <laughs> of the 11... All but one were martyred. They would be persecuted. They would be thrown in jail. They would be beaten. They would be ostracized. It seemed impossible, and indeed it is for human beings, but not with God. And how do we know that? Because today, on this planet, people know Jesus in every corner of the globe, in every country nearly of the world, in almost all of the people groups and over two billion people on the planet are disciples of Christ. So we have the power, we have the authority, we have the ability, and then God said, I've got a very simple plan. I'm not sending the angels. I'm not coming back in the flesh until the end of time. I'm sending you and you and you and you and you and you. Every one of you are to go and make disciples. 
And he says, this is how you're going to do it. Because everyone needs to know, because Jesus is indeed the only name that can provide salvation. What I want you to do is to go. I want you to get into every nation. And this is how it works. First, you gather together like we are today, and you are fed, not just information, but the word of God. You are going to be encouraged through scripture, through the fellowship of one another. Just by being together, we are encouraged. We know that we are not in this alone. Regularly, we are fed with the Lord's Supper. So we know for sure that our sins are forgiven. We are strengthened in our faith. We know that salvation has been won. So we've all gathered together today. How many of you are staying past uh, 12 o'clock or so? Anybody? A couple of you. How about 1 o'clock? How about 2 o'clock? How about tomorrow? How about Tuesday? You're going to be here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Every day? Anybody ever going to go home? Yeah. You see, we gather together to get fed because we're not just a country club. Then we have to go out. We're more like a hospital. We, we come in here, we are, we're healed, we're forgiven. We're encouraged. We receive what we need. We receive strength to go. And where are you going to go tomorrow? Work, school, grocery store, post office, neighbors. That is into the world. You know, the church is the only institution, at least voluntarily, where we know that this place is not for us alone. Yes, we're encouraged and we're strengthened and we receive all this good stuff, then we go out. Because truly the church is for those who are not yet here. The not yet disciple. The six billion or so who don't yet know or believe or follow as we already do. So that's the plan. And the homework is very simple. Baptize and teach. Two things, really. Baptize and teach. Baptize infants. Baptize children. Baptize adults. Because in baptism, for so many of us, that is how conversion occurs. How many of you were baptized either as babies or small children? Raise your hand. Thank God. Someone in your family, someone you knew brought you to the waters of baptism. And that's where discipleship begins, in our own family, with those who are closest. Even as adults, faith is already here. The Holy Spirit has worked through his word. We have heard it, we have read it, we have seen it. And now we're baptized to mark us with that invisible sign of the cross as one who is redeemed by Christ crucified. So that's it. Baptized, one and done. Here we go. We're all done. No, of course not. Then we teach. And we teach and we teach. Do we teach just a little bit? We just teach a part of it? No, Jesus says, teach them everything.
thing. The entire Bible. That's why we're going through the Bible in eight weeks so we can be reminded again of the, the basic steps of the Word of God. And then to go out and live it because knowledge in the head is one thing, but knowledge and faith in the heart is something entirely different. So that's the plan. Baptize and then teach. And then finally, as I had mentioned in the very beginning, we're not alone in this. We have all of these people. Imagine we have more people gathered here this morning in our three services than there were Christians at the beginning of the day of Pentecost. Wow. More right here. And the disciples said, it's impossible. We can't go out into all the nations. Can you imagine what you can do, what Emmanuel can do, if we take our homework seriously? And you know what? You have. Truly, you have. Do you know how many baptisms there have been in Emmanuel in the last 12 months? Guesses? 58. You've been reading the newsletter. Very good. <laughs> 58. 58. The average is how many? Zero or one? 58 children and adults. Disciples. How many adult conversions? Again, the average zero or one here at Emmanuel. In the last 12 months, we've had 30. You see, most churches grow simply by transfers. People get sick of one church, so they go to another. Or they move, right? Over half of our new members this year, about 156 or something like that, baptisms or conversion, adult confirmation. Because you're doing your homework. <laughs> You're inviting people to hear the word. You're sharing the love of God when you go to work and to school, to the grocery store and the post office and to your neighbor. You're doing loving things. You're showing the love of God wherever you go. And people say, I want more of this. I want to, I want to have what you have. Show me where. Show me how. And you invite them then here to worship or to our school where we continue to teach. That's why we have Sunday school this morning and Verge and Confirmation and God Connects for new members and Midpoint down the hall and small groups throughout the week. We learn more and more and every time we learn, we find again, it's all about a God who has loved us. Let me close with this. When I was in school, they had this thing called the curve. You remember that, the bell curve? How would you like that? Some of us, not so much. Because we're always in the middle or worse on the other end, right? God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't put some at the bad end and some at the good end. <laughs> but He doesn't grade on merit either. 
at least not on ours, because how would we fare then? It's only pass-fail in the eyes of God, and you either get it all right or you're all wrong. And so we'd all fail, wouldn't we? And it wouldn't just be a bad mark on a piece of paper. Penalty for failure is separation from God forever. Damnation in hell. The punishment that we all deserve. But God said, I'm not going to grade on merit, at least not yours. I'm instead, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to do it all perfectly in your place. He gets an A++++ and he's going to stamp it on your forehead which you received in your baptism, the righteousness of God. And not only that, he said, I'm going to pay the penalty for all your failures. Because even though you get that A++++, you still mess up. And don't we? Didn't we confess that earlier? I'm going to send him to the cross, and there he's going to die. And he literally is going to be separated from me. But the good news, of course, he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the grave, and then all of the blessings that he has won, all the benefits, I'm going to give to you simply by my grace through faith in him to which you were connected in your, in your baptism or when the Holy Spirit first came into your heart. And then I'm going to give you some homework because you have a purpose. While you're here, it's not just to take up space. It's to share that love with others. So they also can become disciples. Who will make more disciples? Who will make more disciples? So that all the world, that all the nations will know me as you already do. Because in the end, that's the only thing that truly matters. Wouldn't it be great if Emmanuel really does become a disciple-making, disciple-maturing machine? Not because the numbers are great, but because they are all people. Every single one of those who were baptized or converted or joined our church are so important to God that he died for them. And if God would die for them, the very least that you and I can do is to do our homework. How about it? Amen. Let's all rise once again.